I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, the Red Hot Lightning got a hat trick from Carter Verhage on Tuesday. And if you had him in the pool for the first hat trick of the year, you're lying. What's unique about his path to the NHL? Braden Point quietly leads the Lightning with 18 goals. Who's the biggest surprise on offense this season? And what's been the big difference on defense for the Lightning during this incredible run? We've got all that and more to discuss with Diana Neros, who covers the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Hey, folks, I've lived here my whole life, and, of course, I've heard about Tampa Bay Downs. If you haven't experienced it for yourself, what's holding you back? Tampa Bay Downs has been a Tampa Bay entertainment landmark since 1926. And Tampa Bay Downs offers more than just horse-loving, dirt-flying, hoof-thumping, jockey-riding, good times. There's something for everyone at Tampa Bay Downs. In addition to thoroughbred horse racing, we also feature no-limits action in the Silks Poker Room. And you can work on your golf swing at the Downs Golf Practice Facility. There's live thoroughbred racing four days a week, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Gates open at 11 a.m. Post time is 1225 and the excitement is always fast and fun. Tampa Bay Downs, you bet they run. There truly is something for everyone at Tampa Bay Downs, the premier multi-entertainment destination on Florida's Gulf Coast. You can call Tampa Bay Downs at 813-855-4401 and check out their website at tampabaydowns.com for more information and 2020 promotions. And make your plans to live it up at the Downs. Before we talk a little hockey and lightning hockey in just a minute with Diana Neros, uh, I wrote a column in the uh, Tampa Bay Times or analysis, if you will. If you get a chance to read it, you can go to uh, tampabay.com as well. You know, it's uh, we're just about completed this hiring cycle for the NFL. And, um, of course, we know that uh, Matt Rule was hired by the Carolina Panthers on Tuesday. The Giants chose Patriots receivers coach Joe Judge. Um, that followed the hiring, of course, of uh, Mike McCarthy with the Dallas Cowboys, former Packers head coach, and the Redskins uh, chose former Panthers head coach Ron Rivera. So that, as we did this podcast, that left one opening, and that's the Cleveland Browns, and they were set to interview uh, the Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels and Eagles defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. Both those guys, by the way, have been NFL coaches. McDaniels with the Denver Broncos and Schwartz uh, five seasons with the Detroit Lions. Um the one guy that's kind of been left out uh, of all these interviews, although he has interviewed, is Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, who is black. And he also has interviewed for the Browns job and uh, two other openings this year. Last year he interviewed for four head coaching jobs, including the Bucks, that eventually went to uh, Bruce Arians. Here's the thing. Um, there are only three black coaches currently employed by the NFL, head coaches, and that's the same number as when the Rooney Rule was adopted in 2003. Now, Rivera is Hispanic, so at least you know there's diversity there. But it's not exactly working the way I think they intended when, uh, when this rule came about. And the rule is simply that you're required to interview a minority candidate for a vacant head coaching or GM job. There's one 
black general manager in the NFL currently. Um, it's not it's not a good record, and um, you know while these owners certainly have the right to to hire and or fire whomever they want to, I mean they pay an enormous amount of money, and 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 they should try to get the best guy for their organization. Um, we don't seem to be making much progress, uh, and I can see where you know coaches would get discouraged by that. I mean, I I thoroughly expected Byron Leftwich, who's a Bucks offensive coordinator, even though he's only 39 years old, um, and and for that matter, Todd Bowles, who's been a head coach with the New York Jets, I expected those guys to at least get interviewed, and they weren't. Um, neither was Leslie Frazier, who's been a head coach with the Vikings, much like Jim Schwartz. He had one winning season there, went, took his team to the playoffs, and you know he's now got the number one defense uh, there in Buffalo, and and he didn't get it. He didn't get a sniff. So it's it's just sort of interesting. I talked to Tony Dungy. He made this analogy. I thought it was interesting. I just wanted to share it with you. Um, you know, Tony was a quarterback at the University of Minnesota back in the seventies, uh, and he and he said that um, <laughs> when uh, when the Ohio State came in there and Archie Griffin, who was their running back, he said he just destroyed them, and it was the first of two back to back Heisman Trophy. Uh, winning seasons for Archie Griffin. And he said, there was no doubt in my mind that he was the best running back in the country. And he had this linebacker at Minnesota, Ollie Bacon, uh, who played in the East-West Shrine All-Star game. And when he came back to campus after that All-Star game, he told the guys on the team that he had a guy that was on his All-Star team that was better than Archie Griffin, and it wasn't even close. And Dungy said, well, that's impossible. I mean, I'm, and, and the guy said, no, I'm telling you. This Walter Payton is unbelievable. <laughs> and and so, so Walter Payton, of course, played for Jackson State, a small, predominantly African-American school, right, that, didn't, that wasn't on TV. Uh, but, you know, before that, you know, as Tony said, he goes, you know, in January of 75, if you'd have, you'd have drafted Archie Griffin for your fantasy team because he was the best back in college football and that, that they knew. And he likened it to what the NFL owners are going through today. In, in other words, he said that opened our universe, right, you know, to, to understand there were other players, the Jerry Rices and people, people you didn't see all the time in the Big Ten um, that were even greater. Uh, and if they got the opportunity in the NFL, which, of course, you know, Walter was drafted in the first round and we know his legendary career. Um, and, and, and so he kind of made that analogy to what, you know, to what the intention was uh, for the Rooney Rule is to open the universe a little bit for these NFL owners. And, you know, they're required to interview a guy, but you wonder, you know, just how, how much seriousness they're taking it. Um, you know, there's, there is some inequities, too. I mean, if, if you know, you, and, and it's just it's spoken sometimes. And I don't know owners actually say this, but you hear it written and see it written and hear it sometimes. Like with Biennemi, well, he doesn't call plays. And the thing is, Eric Biennemi has worked his way up, you know, as a player, as a running back, of course, and was a, a running back's coach and eventually became offensive coordinator. Well, you know who else didn't call plays before they got head coaching jobs were Doug Peterson, who came from the same tree with Andy Reid, uh, and then Matt Nagy, who was with the Bears. They didn't call plays either. So, um, you know, it, it just – there has to be a better – I don't know – a better record than, than, than just three NFL – you know, black NFL coaches. I think a lot of it is there's not a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball, and that seems to be where a lot of the head coaches are coming from. Um, there's only two black offensive coordinators, Biennemi and Byron Leftwich. And, of course, you know, a lot of those guys on offense played quarterback in the league. Well, Byron played it, but for years there wasn't a lot of black quarterbacks. So, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of go into this. Um, and uh, anyway, it's an interesting story. 
I think uh, I think you'll enjoy Tony's perspective on um, you know, and just of course he worked for the Roonies. Uh, the Roonies gave him a chance to become a an assistant coach, and, and Tony himself, we know all too well. Um, you know, he was passed over for almost a decade and was you know was the Minnesota Vikings uh, coordinator. He told me, you know, I I had the number one defense in the NFL uh, in 1993. And he was overlooked twice by the Eagles, and once uh, after an interview with the Giant with the Jaguars, and then he has the number one defense. He didn't get there was eight coaching openings that year in 1993. He didn't get one phone call, <laughs> not one. So he's like, "Well, that's it. I'm never going to get a job." And then uh, two years later, you know, the Bucks call him, and he was their he was their third choice. I mean, they wanted Steve Spurrier or Jimmy Johnson. Those two guys turned him down, and. Uh, you know, took Dungy several interviews, and he wound up getting the job. And, of course, the rest is a Hall of Fame career. But what if nobody had bothered to interview or hire, not just interview, but actually hire Tony Dungy? So, you know, there are qualified people all over the place. And, of course, Tony had his tree, which then, you know, helped guys like Mike Tomlin and Herm Edwards and, you know, Lovey Smith and a lot of these guys become head coaches in the National Football League. But that's what it took was him uh, becoming a head coach to then create opportunity for those guys uh, and then they've all, you know, been fairly successful. So that was interesting. So if you get a chance to read it on TampaBayCut.com, uh, please do so. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, the Tampa Bay Lightning have won eight in a row. They're now uh, firmly in a playoff spot in the Atlantic Division, pressing Toronto there for second place. And joining us now is Diana Neros, who covers the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times. Diane, I want to get to uh, Tuesday's game because, boy, you talk about just a, a complete game. Uh, we'll start, if we can, with Carter Vahegi, um, who, you know, had his first career hat trick, a 92 win over Vancouver. Here's a guy, and you can speak to his journey a little bit. He led the AHL in scoring, but this is a 24-year-old rookie who hadn't exactly had the smoothest transition, right? He had an assist in his second game that went scoreless for like two months. What have you made of uh, of just his story and, and, and how he's starting to come around? Well, it's really interesting about his story. Uh, John Romano wrote a column in yesterday's paper that pointed out he's been in professional hockey longer than Braden Point. Uh, and mm. He's only a rookie this year. He started in the ECHL, which is the equivalent of double A, so to speak, um, below the AHL. And, you know, kind of figured out that back and forth between EC and ECHL and the AHL for a couple of years, then in the AHL finding his way, finding his team, um, got traded twice, and now he's finally getting his shot in the NHL. And even then, as you mentioned, you know, had an assist early, took him forever to get his first goal, was in and out of the lineup, was on different lines, played center, which is in his natural position a little bit early on before he settled in at wing. So it's not been a, hey, you get your first look, you're in a spot. This is like consistent smooth. Um, but in the last couple weeks, you've really seen him look more confident and look for those spots and it took him you know many fewer games to get the second than it got the first which is often the case and just looks so much more confident in how he's playing and I'm not going to say we had all 
called the hat trick by any means, but you definitely <laughs> saw him becoming more confident. Uh, maybe not hat trick confident, but it was great to see uh, that kind of game out of him it was just incredible on uh, Tuesday there. Yeah, what a moment, uh, you know, to see all the hats on the ice and, and, and to see him experience that. He he was a little shell-shocked by all of it, and it was good that his teammates uh, worked to get him that third goal as well. Yeah, it was um... – I actually wrote in a column a few weeks ago uh, because Barry Trotz, Islanders coach, called out Peter LaViolette, who was since fired by Nashville, um, because he put his top power play out late while up big in the game. So the Lightning had that Mm -hmm. situation last night where uh, they were up big and end up with a power play. And so Cooper said, you know, play the possession game. And if somebody's going to take a shot, make it for Hagee because he already had two at that point. And so uh, everyone passed him the puck and uh, <laughs> on a good pass from Kucherov, it went in. And um, it was a uh, it was really great to see for him. Um, and you can just see the confidence even in the way he spoke afterwards. It was the largest media scrum I think he's done. And he was so much more confident in just how he spoke than he was early on finding his way, you know, in his first major, you know, press conferences or not press conferences, but media scrums post game and Mm. things like that. You just could tell there was more confidence. He deadpanned. Somebody asked him about missing on goal number four in the last like minute and a half or something. And he deadpanned. Oh, I didn't need any more. I was good with three. And, you know, just the, the, it was a funny moment, but it just shows the confidence he has right now. And, you know, there are little things uh, John Cooper said before the game that he's seeing for Hagee win more puck battles. And so there was a weird goal where it was not called a goal live. Live, it looked like he hit the post. And then play mm-hmm. continued. He went after a rebound and battled for the puck, made a really good move. He first touched it. Then um, the Canuck player batted it away from him, and then he got it back to set up Mitchell Stevens, and Mitchell Stevens scored what would have been his second NHL goal. And then instead they reviewed and found that the earlier shot that Verhage had hit the post was actually a goal. So this play that he battled for the rebound and kept it, you know, kept it going isn't actually a thing anymore. It was, you know, we wipe it off the, the, the record, but it was still a great example of how he's playing right now that um, he had a great shot that he thought hit the pipe and he, um, you know, still stuck with the play to set up another goal that ended up not being necessary in the end. So just, you know, on, on multiple levels, he was playing extremely well and it's really a culmination of what we've seen for a couple weeks out of him. Yeah, I mean, he's a really good story. And, I mean, Vancouver came into this game having won as many games in a row as the Lightning. They had won seven in a row themselves. Um, they were playing very, very well. And and then you see this onslaught, right, this total domination, a 9-2 to game uh, on both ends of the ice. And, um, first of all, th- those are rare. We know that the Lightning has the skill to do that to teams. But, Diana, what was different about this one in that uh, it didn't look like they were pressing to just score goals? Yeah, it was so, you know, we've talked a lot about how when they're up, they need to protect the lead, not just try to score. And you look at 9-2 and you're like, well, clearly they kept trying to score. But this was a case in which they took the opportunities to score. They didn't force opportunities. And that's the Mm -hmm. difference. They didn't, you know, cheat in on offense and thus create an opening for a rush the other way. That is what we've been referring to, you know, not having those moments. Um, The big one that I always 
think of is from game one of the playoffs last year when Ryan McDonough um, pinched in and then there was a turnover that wasn't on him, but he wasn't there to defend going back. And then that was, I believe, Columbus's first goal in that series that we all know turned into a sweep. So those were the moments that they're trying to eliminate. And last night, they were not pressing for these goals. They were taking the opportunities as they came, playing, you know, pushing on offense because they're an offensively skilled team, but not taking risks to create the opportunities. Maybe that's the best phrasing is they're not risky opportunities. Um, They're kind of within the flow of the game opportunities. And so that not that they can't ever press and they can't ever pinch, but this was a good management of how to do that without creating these huge gaps that they ran up the score nine two without causing issues on the other end. And this was a very good team. It wasn't them doing it against a team where you're like, well, yeah, but they're kind of in a crappy team to, of course they can do it against that team. This was a very hot team coming in, as you said. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I was listening to Steven Stamkos uh, talk uh, either before or after the game, but it was referencing, you know, this current streak that they're on. Um, and, you know, that included a, a brutal, uh, you know, road swing, the kind of a back-to-back there uh, that they had just before coming home. But he said that, you know, none of them are surprised by it. And, and while we know they have the skill and that sort of thing, I guess what he said, and Diana, you've spoken to the, they were playing well before this. They just weren't getting rewarded for it, right? Right. They were playing well. Um, they have not what they're how they're playing has not changed from before the win streak to now. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things is they look like a team that expects to win again. There was a point mm. um, when in the room after games, there was lots of references to, well, that's just how things are going right now. Every mistake we make ends up in the back of our net. Because there is no game that doesn't have mistakes, including last night. Steven Samkos did not play a great defensive game last night. The first goal was on his turnover. He actually had two turnovers on the play. The second goal, he overskated the puck. There were mistakes. But they didn't turn as costly as the ones earlier in the season. And there's a different sense around this team where they're not expecting every mistake to be a disaster. And they've got a confidence in the fact that they are going to win games and they feel like they can find ways to win games. They allowed the first goal last night um, on Tuesday, and that was not a problem. They just kept going. So it's amazing how different that mentality um, can make just the, the flow of a game of, you know, when you expect we're going to find a way to win, you tend to find a way to win. Exactly right. And, and you mentioned Vasilevsky. I mean, n- neither goal really you could pin on him, as you mentioned uh, uh, there, and the second one kind of went off a guy's skate. But um, when you look at what Andre is doing now versus sort of at the beginning of the year, look, he's he's a he's the best goaltender in the world, right, last year. Um, and so there's a certain level that you kind of expect them from him every night. Might not have reached it, early in the season, but it seems like he has hit that gear again. Do you see that when you watch him play now? Yeah, he's another one where the confidence looks so different. And he always knew he could do it, but, I mean, we all talk about guys who hold themselves to a higher standard and who don't accept mm-hmm. less. And he was he was very unhappy with how he was playing for a little while there. And he just looks smoother in the net. You take, you know, he only saw... 
I don't have the numbers in front of me. I want to say 22 shots on Tuesday. It wasn't a major test, but he also doesn't like the games where he doesn't see that many shots. He feels like he's in a better rhythm when he sees lots Mm. of shots. And even late in the game, you know, they're up huge. The, The wind's basically guaranteed. And they... Um, ended up on the kill, and he made a couple really nice saves on that kill, that that's when you might kind of get out of the flow of it, right? You haven't been tested as much in the latter part of this game. You're you're kind of out of your rhythm, and then you have a kill, and that's where oftentimes you'd see a team get one. And that wasn't the case. You know, they didn't necessarily need him. He certainly didn't need to steal this one for them, but he just showed what he can do in that smooth, confident way in the net that was just Vasilevsky looks like Vasilevsky yeah and and you know the penalty kill look they're all the way up to eighth now in the NHL and penalty kill and and I think during this stretch they probably played their best so uh who's been responsible for uh, for the improved play on on that side I mean it definitely they all say your penalty kill starts with your goalie and there is something to be said for him being uh Vasilevsky being more confident in net Um, In general, you look at their kill has been much improved for a while now. It just took a while for the stats to balance out because they were so bad at first. Mm -hmm. So uh, they needed a while to get the stat correction. But I think it goes back to like the first of November. They've been in the top of the league, if not number one, near number one. You know, if you start November 1st through now, but that October was so rough. And it really is a matter of the um, the, the same things that have uh, helped them five on five. They've just um, been playing more confidently in their system and they stay, you know, the system exists for a reason that when you stay in the system, it's supposed to address things. And when you get out of the system, when you start thinking, I need to do something and you break out of that system, that's when the kind of, you, you, you gum up the wheels, so to speak, you know, even when you see something and you're trying to do the right thing, it can still take other things out of whack. Um, you know, you have a routine, it's supposed to go this way, you know, your morning routine and all of a sudden you do something out of order and now you leave your keys on the counter when you leave the house. You know, it's like that kind of basic, you change how it's supposed to go and you forget something else. And, you know, it's a weird comparison, but that's kind of what was happening, that something was being done out of order. Somebody was seeing something and trying to go after it. And then the rest of the system that's supposed to follow wasn't going as smoothly. And so just kind of really sticking to that and um, being in those, in the right spots at the right times has uh, produced what we've seen out of the PK recently or for a while now, I guess. We see some growth of some of these young players. I mean, what about Mikhail Sergachev and just really even the last month or so, Seems to have really asserted himself even more. He has. He realized that um, he wasn't playing the kind of physical game that he can. He, in juniors, played a much more physical game than we saw in his first couple years pro. Um, And he commented he was trying to defend with his stick rather than his body last season. Mm. And so he has really brought his body further into it. And it's not necessarily just big hits. We saw a great hit against Eichel on the Sabres game on New Year's Eve. Um, But it's not just the big hits. It's the positioning. It's the using his body to push somebody else off the puck without it being technically a hit, but still 
pushing him off the puck and now he's able to use his skating you know now he's got the turnover and is able to use his strong skating to create other opportunities so the combination of the physicality and the positioning on top of his previously strong skating and he's got a good shot now makes an all-around stronger defenseman Um, one of the things he commented on was he didn't want to be labeled as the offensive defenseman because in some ways you say offensive defenseman and sometimes it means a Victor Hedman Mm -hmm. somebody who's fully capable both ways but has extra on offense but it also means the guy who's good on offense but you don't trust on defense and nobody wants to be that guy and so he wanted to shed that label to not be that guy who you don't trust on defense who doesn't play the penalty kill who isn't in those defensive situations and that's somewhere where he has addressed and he again has gained confidence (laughs) there's a theme here and Mm -hmm. uh trusts himself in the defensive roles trust uses the positioning uses his big body and you see the effects i'm pretty sure i saw him use his fist a few times too that seemed to have sparked both the lightning and himself (laughs) that uh yeah that was definitely a thing i guess i've i see that as a one-off it was amusing as all heck because it was unexpected (laughs) is why i call it amusing (laughs) Um, but you know, that's not going to be his career. He's not going to transition into the defense, physical defensive defenseman who gets in fights. Um, it'll be something that pops up every once in a while, but yeah, it definitely sparked the team in that game, um, for sure. But it's not something that we should expect to see out of him regularly now. (laughs) Right, right. No, it was, it was fun to watch that, that night. He certainly got his, his, his bench going and, and they got going. Um, when you, uh, you know, and, and look, there are going to be, we know about the superstars on this team. And when you have the MVP, the scoring champion and, and the Vezina Trophy winner, obviously that's a pretty good place to start. Right. But I keep coming back to the same guy. What is with the offense explosion that we're kind of seeing now from Alex Kalorn? He, uh, he could be this year's most surprising player. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily that he's changed a ton, but he's right. just uh, using everything a little bit better. Uh, he's taking more shots and better shots, which brings his uh, shot percentage is up on the year. So not just, you know, it's all of the above that he's taking more shots and he's taking better shots and doing better with his shot. That was a lot of better in shot. But um, he he's taken a leadership role in the room. There were... Not that this team is lacking leaders, but there were some big voices that left this offseason. And he is somebody who has stepped up to fill that space and is a little more vocal um, just among his teammates in the dressing room. And that has translated into his play as well. So we're definitely seeing um, all all of that come together uh, in, in Alex Kalorn's play. And, you know, how he keeps coming up with these goals. What about the health of this team? Any any word on uh, on Ryan McDonough and his, his status? Uh, Cooper said he uh, doesn't expect McDonough to play tonight against Coyotes. It's going to be a little bit of a wait and see after that. Um, but uh, it'll, it'll, yeah, it's at this point, it's a wait and see um, with Ryan McDonough. Yeah. He's somebody that this team, um, they have the numbers to fill that spot, but he's been a very reliable defenseman. Even if he doesn't stand out quite the way he did last year, he's still been one of the most reliable defensemen 
uh, on this team since he joined it. So um, they'll, they'll miss him while he's gone, and it's kind of just waiting to see when he's able to come back. You know, I have to give John Cooper some credit because things were looking pretty dark there for a while, um, and you wondered just, you know, what was going to happen, um, you know, with this team by the time they, they reached Christmas and beyond. But um, he has not wavered, and he has, however, made some line changes, and, and he's gotten the band back together again. That first line, <laughs> I mean, really all of them are going now, but uh, they really do enjoy playing together, those guys, right? Uh, they do. It's, I mean – Everyone likes playing with fun, skilled guys. So you put a bunch of fun, skilled guys together, and it's fun to yeah. watch. It's you know when you've got Stamkos, Kucherov, and Point together, it really can drive a lot of offense. Um, I don't expect them to stick together, though. Uh, Cooper mm-hmm. has put them together and then split them up again a few times over the course of the year. I think in right. general, the Lightning likes having them spread out a little bit more, but also. Sure uses this option obviously of putting them together and and sparking things so i think this might be something we see them come back to uh you know every so often throughout the season but i don't see it sticking the way that say boston's big three or colorado's big three have been a consistent line throughout you know it it doesn't seem like Braden Point was having an outstanding start to his year for a lot of reasons but then you look up and he he's got 18 goals. Yeah, he's somebody he's just not flashy in how he plays. And right. last year he was flashier because Nikita Kucherov was so hot and the two of them fed off each right. other so well. And I'm not saying he was mm-hmm. better only because of that. He was just flashier, more noticeable because of that. Um, It was interesting. Kevin Shattenkirk said that when playing against the Lightning, he wasn't always super aware of point because he's kind of overshadowed, overshadowed, excuse me, by the very flashy Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov. And it wasn't until in the game and after games that he was like, oh, geez, Braden Point. You know, that's kind of his style is different. So he... His numbers stick out. He's very good. He's very fast. He creates a lot. But it's not in the way that you walk away or will go into every game saying, I can't wait to see what Braden Point does. Right. Um, it, it's just, it's not, his style of play is different and it comes out a little differently. So you're not like, oh my God, Braden Point's killing it until you look up and realize, oh, he has 18 goals. He's, uh, yeah, doing pretty well. So as you look at this stretch now, uh, you know, it's you can't win them all, but they're trying to, right? And they've still got some games at hand on Toronto. So they're in a really good position. Where do you see as you look at the schedule or you look at what's what's ahead, where where do you see uh, the the tougher stretches uh that that they'll the tougher waters they'll have to navigate? Well, they are still in the middle of uh one of their toughest stretches just in terms of its 13 games in 21 nights between Christmas break and the bye week, including gotcha. four back-to-backs. So they've played two back-to-backs, and the hardest of them was that Ottawa-Carolina back-to-back as somebody who did it along with them. Oh, I don't want to ever do that again. Uh, (laughs) But now they have two more coming up. Uh, Saturday, Sunday is Philly, New Jersey, and then next week, Thursday, Friday, is Minnesota-Winnipeg. It's a much shorter flight, but another international back-to-back. So this is, you know, they're they're in the middle of a, a tough stretch of games here. Um, yeah. They canceled practice yesterday as they're trying to uh, 
to manage their rest. Um, instead of the NBA's load management of taking games off, um, they've been, you know, taking shorter and fewer practices as they uh, try to maintain some energy for these this this stretch of games going into uh, the All Star break next Saturday, the 18th is the start of their bye week and the All Star break. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just sprint and get there and then finally catch your breath for a week after that. Yeah, that was that was a tough turnaround for sure. Well, they have Arizona tonight at home, and then uh, as you mentioned, Philly, New Jersey, back to back. Uh, over the weekends, and Diana Neros will be there. You can uh, read her on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times as well. Thanks, Diana. Thanks for having me. And my thanks to Diana. Of course, uh, tomorrow it's a football Friday. We'll preview the NFL divisional playoff games this weekend. Some great ones. Vikings at 49ers. The Seahawks are at the Packers. The Texans at the Chiefs. And the Titans at the Baltimore Ravens. Of course, the number one seed in the NFC. So um, good chance to watch that, and we'll talk about those games and, uh, hey, if you uh, don't want to watch football, you want looking for something to do, go see my friends at Tampa Bay Downs. Look, this has been here in the Tampa Bay area for a long time. If you haven't been out there, what's keeping you so long? they got horse racing, of course, four days a week, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The gates are open at 11 a.m. post time at 1225. But you know what? You can also do other things out there. You can go to the Silks Poker Room and play, play some poker. You can work on your golf swing at the Downs Golf Practice Facility. There's something for everybody, uh, truly, in the family. So, Give them a chance and uh, head out to Tampa Bay Downs. And if you want, uh, you can give those folks a call as well to see what's going on at 813-855-4401. Or visit their website at tampabaydowns.com for more information about their 2020 promotions. And remember, make plans to live it up at the Downs. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 